Welcome to Democracy Matters, the podcast of the James Madison Center for Civic Engagement at James Madison University. I'm Kara ong Whaley, the Associate Director at the Madison Center. And today we're recording from the Civic Learning and Democratic Engagement Conference, which is being held in Fort Lauderdale, Florida this year. I am joined for this episode by Jen Domigol-Goldman, the Managing Director of the All In Campus Democracy Challenge. And uh, we also have with us Michael Peshkin, a professor of mechanical engineering at Northwestern University. And in this episode, we are going to talk about voter engagement and political learning at campuses across the country, sharing what works. I had the privilege of doing a workshop this morning with, with Michael Peshkin, and, and so we were able to have conversations with other campuses and share what we were doing on our campuses. Michael, I wonder if you might just start us off and talk about what you have found to be the most effective way of engaging students in, in voter work. What we have championed, I think, is simply the act of getting students registered to vote when they turn 18. It's an opportunity to not miss becoming a voter, not to start identifying as a non-voter, but rather to take that, that moment in time which happens to coincide between coming to college as a freshman, open to new things, open to new identity, and being defined as a probable voter at whatever time that is for you. It may be between presidential election cycles, we realize that the most likely first vote may be during a presidential election year, but this is the moment to say, I'm 18, I'm an eligible voter, I'm going to be a voter. And how did you decide on that moment? That's the moment that is probably most crucially important to these students, mm -hmm. and it also just happens to be the only moment during their entire college career where we can talk to every single one of them one-on-one -on -one because there's, of course, when you come to college, some kind of structure in which every student is greeted, welcomed, does all the routine administrative things. And how was your proposal received by administration at Northwestern? You know, this started with a little project that I was doing with a student group um, years and years ago, and, and in which we for, recognized that most of our students coming in were wanting to vote in other states because they were from other states. And we met that need, which was quite a logistical challenge, and followed up to find out did that work well, which it did. The students were, in fact, voting by mail the way we hoped. And then the university, to its credit, the, our Center for Civic Engagement in particular, picked this up and said, that's something we can institutionalize. So, so it's sort of two steps. One, meet the needs of the students. Two, get it into the system in a routine way. And what have you learned over the years through this process? Uh, we've learned that students are actually great voters, that the, not great voters, students are good voters, and that the magical first step is getting them registered, and once they are registered, they vote pretty well. The students have this reputation for being terrible voters. Really not justified. Everybody votes poorly to the extent that they're not registered. I find that really interesting because I think that there's something about context. We actually have a really high voter registration rate of students um, at James Madison University when they already get to campus, but we have a tremendous drop-off in turnout. But what works at other campuses to sort of identify the locus of issues and really drawing students into this form of civic engagement. This is just one, you know, again, voter 
engagement is just one aspect of civic engagement. Sure. I uh, Thanks, Kara. Um, this is a great opportunity to have a really important discussion, and it's great to be joined by Michael um, or be joining Michael in the sense that the work that's happening out of Northwestern is one of the models that we really like to hold up as a way of getting really close to 100% participation in terms of registration of eligible um, students and also at a really high voter turnout rate. And I, and I think that the um, issues and questions, care that you're raising um, are a piece of that. Context matters, right? We want students, we want everyone to develop the, the knowledge of the skills and the motivations to participate in our democracy, um, both in the election process and in ways around broader political engagement, whether it's in terms of thinking about public policy um, related to the, their major and what they're studying. So with me mechanical engineering, a piece of it might be um, you know, laws around what kind of things we're developing and how does that, you know, manifest itself and in what ways are, um, you know, where does intellectual property belong and other kinds of things. And I think sometimes we don't do that. But I think um, the piece of what Michael said about finding those moments institutionally where you're reaching the broadest audience, whether it's the 18-year-olds or other students, is, is really essential. And I think, you know, it's not just about registering, although that's essentially important, and what Michael said was exactly the truth, but a piece of it is knowing enough about the system and helping students navigate what frankly is one of our most antiquated processes. It's changing rapidly in some places. We're catching up, we're creating same-day registration laws in some places, we're creating mail-in voting, we're making absentee um, voting not a, a process where you have to jump through as many hurdles in many places, but in many places it remains pretty antiquated, right? And so. A lot of students now are coming to campus having been able to pre-register in high school, but they're changing precincts and states when they come to college, right? And so then they need to make choices about where they want to register and vote. And oftentimes they still identify home as not being where their institution is when they're first year students. Um, and then by you know junior and senior year, they're starting to say, oh, oh, I, I belong in the Harrisonburg community where JMU is, or I am in the Chicago area um, you know, where Northwestern is, right? And so they're starting to see that, but but they don't necessarily realize they have a choice. They don't realize that if they choose to remain registered at home that they might have to go through an absentee ballot process, which is which accounts for a huge percentage of the drop-off. Um, and, and registration is that first essential step, but it's insufficient. So if they're not motivated to then act on that, if they don't see themselves as counting in the process, if they don't see um, you know, and, and have a chance to understand what's on their ballot and to see the candidates as mattering. Um, you know, states that have, that are more solidly in um, either kind of blue or red tend to have lower rates overall because they don't think it's gonna matter and it's gonna go one particular way. Um, and so I think that's a, that's a piece of our job as educational institutions as well, is to think about how we're finding the issues that motivate students, how we're helping them understand um, what's at stake and what's gonna be on their ballot. They're, was some great research um, quite a while ago about just the sphere factor of voting for the first time, right? That they don't know what the machines are gonna look like. They don't know what's gonna be on their ballot. They know who they wanna vote for for president. They may know who they wanna vote for for governor. They don't even realize you know, the potential pages of ballot information that they're gonna be asked to do. It can be kind of overwhelming. They, they don't know, you know, they feel like they have to cram for an exam. And so, and, and where and who do they rely on information from? And those are all kind of pieces that we need to do. And it, falls um, 
fortunately or unfortunately, to institutions to help with that, particularly as you know, some of it's not happening in high schools, particularly as it's the first time that many students are eligible to vote. Um, and so I think that you know, those are some of the pieces and finding those spaces to do that. You know, at orientation, like they do at Northwestern is a great model, making sure students then understand that they need to re-register next year when they move off campus or that they need to re-register um, on some campuses, frankly, because of either gerrymandering or just where the campus lines fall in, in two counties or in other spots. They may have to re-register when they move from one residence hall to another. And so accounting for that, I think, becomes a really important part of the process and, and thinking about how you're systematically doing that and not relying on a small group of students who are self-motivated to do this to be doing the bulk of the work. Yeah, I think one of the most valuable things about institutionalizing the work is that you're going to have ebbs and flows in student interest and motivation. And so being able to house it, to keep that institutional knowledge, to spread it, to be constantly reflecting on and assessing what works and what doesn't work responsive to the times, to the issues that might be reaching students at particular times, just makes that institutionalization so important. And then also, you know, moving beyond just capturing them when they come in, but the updating as well. One of the things that we were really excited about at James Madison University this year was telling students who were moving out of the residence halls, you know, giving them an opportunity to update their voter registration then. Um, because most students sign leases in the springtime, and so we went to the off-campus housing fair, um, but then also at Move Out, we made that part of the checkout list. Um, you know, have you updated your voter registration? Um, because we know that the state of Virginia sends reminders to students about that in July, when they have already left campus and their address has already changed. So they don't get that information, right? So kind of knowing that local knowledge, that local context. And it has struck me, you know, hearing different campuses where they are, you know, what is their, are they small liberal arts? Um, are you in an urban setting? Are you a commuter campus? And, Absolutely. you know, some of their, the challenges are going to be different, but using data to figure out what's going to work mm -hmm. in my context really matters. I mean, even, and I think all the examples that you just mentioned are absolutely a piece of it. And I think, but I think that the learning we can take from the Northwestern model in terms of looking at context and trying to um, adapt to the context and adopt practices that are going to work in those specific spaces. And so figuring out those moments and those places to meet people at, right? So at the off-campus housing fair, right, is it's really important. I think in addition to those set of campuses that we were talking about, you know, thinking about the sheer number of online only students, right? And, and what does that mean, right? So maybe they're registered because they register in high school and they're still at home, maybe not, right? And so I think that that becomes a piece of it too, of, of we know all students, meter or not, are attending classes in some format, right? And so how do you use faculty like Michael to be part of that front line, right? How do you create um, either students who can come and do a, a peer-to-peer -peer presentation at the beginning of class, or how do you create a set of slides that could be shared by a faculty member and they can say, you know, and share messages about why this is important. So it feels like an individual invitation, which we know is part of the motivation factor, right? So if I'm standing at the front of my classroom and I'm saying, you matter, your voices matter, you need to be part of our democracy, whoever you're gonna vote for, whatever issues are important to you, like, make sure you don't miss out by not choosing to register if you're eligible, right? I think that's, that's a piece of, of that. And so realizing that, um, and I think, you know, the beauty of the Northwestern story is something that started with 
a faculty member and a set of students doing this because they knew it was important and kind of doing that political organizing and things like that, getting picked up and you know adopted into um, the culture more broadly in really systematic ways um, is a piece that's super important. And so the, the, it's been interesting over the decades to see the growth in the number of places that are doing work like that and to um, hear those stories and to be part of a process that's trying to uplift some of those um, campus stories and be able to talk about the work that's working. Michael, I'll, tell you a, I'll yeah. tell you a classroom story since you. Since I was going to ask you. I would love yeah. for you to talk from the faculty perspective. So, so again, this is about sort of the triumph of logistics over motivation. Although that is not the only thing that matters. Uh, which is, I went to one of my engineering classes. Now you know that STEM classes and STEM students are at the bottom of the barrel. And I gave them the 15-minute the presentation, why you should vote, blah blah blah. I showed them a slide ranking the various uh, student major areas and how well they voted. STEM was at the bottom, they all laughed. Now I know from studies that when you do this kind of thing with motivation and then hand out voter registration cards, you get an increase of, of voter registration of a few percent, which is actually not bad in the scheme of things. But I did one step further than that. I gave them the registration materials and then, this is the key thing, we did not continue with our lesson. We spent the rest of the hour filling out those materials, and I handed each one of them an absentee ballot application if they were registering in another state. And I walked around the class to make sure that they knew how to fill it out. And 50% of the students filled out a registration and absentee ballot request. Hugely greater number than if I had only tried to motivate them and give them the materials and then go on with my day. It's all about attention. This is the era of the attention economy. Right? And here as a professor, I have the opportunity to say, we are going to pay attention to this for so many minutes. And this is what, and you know, they, didn't, they were actually very happy about it. A few of them said, I was already registered, you wasted my time. For the most part, they said, this has never happened to us before in an engineering class. And that was a good use of time. So how do we engage other faculty members to do what you did? You tell me. <laughs> That's, that's really a challenge. I mean, it's, it needs to be a cultural change at the university level that the faculty, I think, are in fear that, they will, that the reaction of students or the reaction of administration will, or their colleagues will be negative. And so they avoid taking the risk to spend some, especially, in, I'm, I'm speaking really for STEM classes where there were especially, this is just not part of our culture. Mm. Uh, but I think even generally, the idea of taking one of your maybe 30 class sessions half of a class session and, and expending it on um, civic learning, um, I think that's an unusual idea. And we need to change the culture where that becomes a norm. Mm -hmm. So have you engaged with other colleagues in STEM specifically at Northwestern? No, I'm terrified. <laughs> well, let me, let's, I, I'd like to dig into that a little bit because this is more broadly, we are affected by the external political environment right now too, right? And in a lot of ways, we, I, we have a political problem in this work um, and being accused of being partisan. And for those of us who are at public universities, our funding can depend um, on how we, our work is perceived externally. Um, so, so how do we you know, work through, even though what we're doing is nonpartisan, and we are very clear um, uh, about that, we are not advocating for any particular candidate or any particular position on issues. We are really talking about 
about the education about process and presenting multiple sides of a view and bringing candidates from multiple different perspectives, whether they are Democrats, Republicans, Libertarians, um, uh, Green Party, whatever whatever party you might belong to, bringing those voices together at the same time, um, you know, to hear multiple perspectives. Um, how do we overcome some of these political challenges that we face? And I think that's really important to acknowledge. I, one, I, I just want to acknowledge, too, that I admire Michael's honesty in saying that there is that fear of how is it perceived and, and who's, you know, is, whose job is this and, you know, is it okay to spend time doing these pieces? And, you know, I think it's important to acknowledge that at an institution like Northwestern, as a private institution, there aren't quite as... Um, impacted by those perceptions in terms of funding as an institution like James Madison University might be, or um, even more so some of the community colleges that might be in particular states. And, and to really acknowledge that we're, you know, that voting rights are under siege in some parts of this country, and that the very active voter registration and voting is being conceived of as pretty partisan to encourage young people to vote because there's a perception Real and unreal and not that you know younger people are going to vote in a more liberal manner, and um, you know and 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 sure that's true in some cases and maybe even in many cases, but but the fundamental rights of as citizens in our democracy to have that knowledge and access, and frankly the fact that this isn't just about voting, this is really about learning, which is the work of those of us sitting around this table and of our institutions, right? So learning the knowledge and skills to participate in our democracy, learning to have a sense of self-efficacy as you know, a full-fledged adult, whatever age you are, and to be part of the, contributing to um, our communities is, is really essential. And so the ways that we help navigate that, I think, are by being very carefully nonpartisan, right? And very clearly, and I feel like I say that word and put it in sentences in an overabundant way at moments, um, out of kind of pure caution, but but really acknowledging that you know this is this is fundamental work, right? Like this, everything else is based on this. We you know we need the polity to be to be engaged and to really be thinking about a lot of the pressing issues wherever they stand on it, and to have kind of informed perspectives. Um, they can disagree with mine, right? We we can disagree across this table about the best ways of moving forward, but we need to be thinking about it and and figuring out where we stand and then being able to have a voice in that. And so I think the work um, is important and we're learning a lot as we go along about what is working. Um, I think there are our, um, there's our legislative proposals on, um, on the floors of various state houses and federally that would help to give more access to and highlight the need to do more of this work and I think that's important as well. Um, and then recognizing the good work and being able to elevate the stories of places you know, where some of this is working. So, you know, I think just like you talked about move out, I think sometimes orientation happens too early for campuses and they haven't assigned residence halls and so the students can't register yet, right, if they choose to register, quote, you know, at camp, on campus. But at move-in, they know where they're living and so, and they usually have to go through a checklist, they have to get their key, they have to sign, you know, something saying if they damage the room, you know, they do all of these different things. I worked in residence life for a number of years early in my career and, and adding that piece of giving them that option, I think is essential. And, and on top of that, you know, that being part of the welcome of how we talk on campus, what's the symbolic effort that we do? Like what messaging do we send about this, you know, in 
you know, materials on our website in statements at convocation by our campus president. You know, how do we talk about it at graduation? How do we talk about it um, in different majors? Um, you know, are we sharing the data? Are we being transparent about the fact um, that some of our numbers aren't really great and how, you know, they can be part of solving that, that problem? Michael, what do you have next? So first, let me give credit to our Center for Civic Engagement who has taken over this program and advanced it and institutionalized it and, and worked with the people who run orientation and so on. You know, this is their program at this point. I'm just a heckler. What I've been working on is first trying to help other schools and generalize the, the belief in, in this ought to be an institutional activity. That's why this conference, for instance. I'm also working with our local high school. The idea being those students who are graduating from high school are about three months younger than our students who are entering college. It's really the same cohort at the same critical point in their life. And many people have attempted to get entree into high schools to do an organized thing. And once in a very long while, it works, where you talk to every student before they graduate, maybe as they're picking up their cap and gown, where are you going to vote? In most cases, high schools are not receptive to this. It's not a priority for them. They have a lot of pressures upon them. And if you, if you want to get to say, give me the attention, it's all about attention. Give me the attention of every one of your students individually. That is not an easy thing for them to do. And they mostly are thinking of the model in which voter registration is an option in the cafeteria. There's somebody there if you want to. Those high school programs in which you, I don't want to, those are good programs where people go into high schools and offer voter registration. But if you get 10% of the students that way, you're doing very, very well. What the high school was much more receptive to was the need for every student upon graduating to have a state identification card. Because a lot of our students, even in the fairly, well, it's a diverse community in Evans, that a lot of our students are graduating without having taken driver ed, without having got a driver's license. And they are then going into the work world without official identification. That problem was recognized by our high school administration as a critical one for the individual benefit of our students. And so they were very receptive to the idea of bringing in the, the DMV. They will actually come and visit and institutionalizing the process of getting a state ID. So we shifted the, the, shifted the purpose from voter registration to get yourself a state ID. Starting fall, we'll be doing that for every, we'll be doing that in sophomore year because that's when they take civics. And the hope is that Illinois being a fairly, fairly advanced state in, in voter registration, that before long we'll have pre-registration so that that getting of a state ID when they are 16 years old becomes voter registration when they are eligible at age 18. Jen, can you talk with us about what All In Democracy Challenge is doing to help campuses think through next steps and prepare a plan for how they can move the work forward? Sure. Um, you know, so the All In Campus Democracy Challenge, when it was launched in 2016, it was originally kind of conceived of um, as a way to incentivize campuses to really use the data that was coming out of the National Study on Learning, Voting, and Engagement, or NSOL study, as most of us refer to it, um, instead of having it kind of on many campuses sitting on a shelf in an institutional research office. That's probably a metaphor, because really it came on email and it was probably sitting in someone's spam 
box. Um, but, you know, so part of the way of doing that uh, was to then ask them to use that data to develop a plan. And so you heard Michael kind of refer to the fact that nationally and on many campuses, STEM majors are, you know, among areas of study that are voting at some of the lowest rates versus kind of education and some social science majors that are voting at much higher rates. And, you know, that changes by campus, but you get a lot of demographic information um, in terms of who among, what populations among your students are voting and what ones um, are registered but not voting and, and those kinds of things. And, and so when we started, it was about that. And what we've realized is, while the recognition is important, it's not necessarily the incentives that are getting people to do it. It's, it's finally realizing that there's data to help guide them. It's waking up to realize that while we've known for a long time that college graduates vote at higher rates than non-college graduates, it doesn't necessarily mean that college students are voting at those rates. Um, and even the students who seem to be engaged um, in terms of talking about politics on campus often haven't completed the steps in time. And so all of a sudden, a couple days before the election, they're ready and they realize they've missed deadlines, right? And that's changing as we get to, uh, you know, um, same day registration and, and all these pre-registration and all these other things. Um, but the piece that's next for us is um, we're part of the Students Learn Students Vote Network and we're releasing a rubric to help campuses self-assess their um, campus action plans. We're asking them to develop those in a continuous kind of improvement model um, over the span of two years. So really looking at those major midterm and presidential cycles, but not just focusing on the strategies and tactics of voting, but on how they're producing cultures that get students to talk about this, that get faculty to be engaged in bringing it up in classrooms, that are thinking about helping them build kind of the knowledge and the skills and that sense of efficacy in terms of really thinking about um, what matters and how they can be part of the solution of, you know, keeping the status quo, changing that, um, finding the new policy or the next thing we need to discuss. And so I think it's it's important to see that and, and asking campuses to publish their plans on our website and putting them in one place, you're able to kind of beg, borrow, and steal ideas and not recreate the wheel every time. And so I think as we work with this kind of network, um, we've seen the learning that happens, right? We've seen you meet Michael and, and do a presentation together. We've seen these campuses that have things in common in terms of... Um, core values um, and intentions, but maybe are very different institutionally um, in terms of context, really think together and start to share these practices. So Northwestern University is part of um, something called the Big Ten Voting Challenge, right? So the campuses in that um, cohort are really working together to try to share strategies that work for these larger institutions. Um, and one of them is at least um, looking at the pledge cards and saying, okay, we've had you fill this out. We know that there's some data that says pledge cards uh, matter. What if we take half of them and send them back to you the week before the election? Um, is that does that help change the outcome? Like, are more of you that get that back and are reminded of it even more likely to do that? Is that a good use of our, and what percentage is that a good use of our resources? Because it's certainly resource intensive, right? And so starting to see those evaluation strategies being put in place, so we can figure out wh where do we best put our money, right? And and too long we've relied simply on tabling in the student union or in the cafeteria and. That's necessary but insufficient, and hopefully not necessary if we actually do it in the right places, right? Um, and so, and I'm getting a, a lot of nods around the, the table here that the listener can't, um, you know, see right now. But, but I think that's the piece. How do we do this in the best, uh, most effective manner? And and how are students part of that solution, right? So I think the other um, thing that I'm re really seeing that isn't all in challenge specific, Kara, but um, really is the growth of these not only of the work being centralized in centers like yourself, like the two that um, you've 
talked about on your own campuses, um, but also the kind of um, creation or reinvention of nonpartisan student voter groups and broader coalitions on campus that they've been part of, where, the, where folks in a center, folks on the faculty, um, folks in student life, students, um, the local elections office and various community partners like the League of Women Voters are working together to think about strategies, to think about the, how this goes into course registration, right? And maybe there's a reminder at, in course registration, a pop-up that comes up online usually, um, that says, do you need to re-register to vote, right? And so maybe that's a piece of it. Or, you know, maybe that's a way of getting online students. And it may not be enough because it's not quite as personal, right? And so it's easy to be like, I don't have time for this right now. But it's something, right? And so having someone from the registrar's office or someone from IT that's helping think about that, right? Those, those kinds of pieces, I think, become a really important part of that story. You know, takeovers of student... Um, social, of like campus social media state, uh, channels yes, right around very specific deadlines that are showing the story of students being part of this, right? And, and that kind of thing. I think, you know, it's things that, frankly, I, you know, we might not always think of, but the students realize, you know, it's, you know, it's not Facebook and Twitter that are going to reach them, but it's Instagram no. and Snapchat. Snapchat, yeah. Right? And, you know, I downloaded Snapchat and I've snapped a couple times and then decided that I will support everyone in doing that, but that's not for me. But that, I wouldn't have known that, right? So I think that that's an important piece, and, and I think those collaborations and those um, groups that are really helping to think about and make change um, are really the future. Yeah, it's, and putting students in the front of this, too. The students really need to lead this and, and be the faces of this work on our campuses, and the institutions like ours need to be the ones that are facilitating the work. Um, but the peer-to-peer -peer is, is really what's, what's effective in terms of helping to bring some of these, these pieces together. Peer-to-peer -peer is, is truly essential. On the other hand, the institutional memory lies with the staff and the university. Right. So if, if it's outsourced and said, and a university says, we're going to let our students lead on this. Well, leadership is great, and peer-to-peer -peer is essential, but at some point it has to be institutionalized yeah. and regularized and done every year. So there's a, sometimes it's just an excuse to hand issues. this. Yeah, because I, and, and well, there's the legitimacy issues yes. too, yeah. right? right. And, and authority issues, right? So if you have the institution sort of being the backbone, the historical knowledge, um, the continuation piece that continues to train the students, right? The access. Um, that, that is just invaluable. So, but, well, but, you know, I'm 40 years old, right? And on, on social media, I can pretend to be 20. But when I'm, you know, you out around campus, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, you know, I can Google, like, what's the right way to say something? Um, I've learned, you know, I don't mean to flex, but <laughs> what's the sitch with politics in Virginia? Um, you know, I can Google their language, you know, behind the scenes. But when I'm interfacing, they're going to, you know, other students are going to listen to their peers. And I don't want to be the helicopter mom that's like, you need to register to vote, <laughs> right? Because it's just, it's just not effective, at least it's where we are. That's right. Yeah. It's ineffective everywhere. Yeah. Nobody needs a broadcast message that says register to vote because voting is a thing that make, that's capable of making you feel small. Yeah. And sending out a broadcast message, no matter who you are, is one of you talking to all the little people. And it doesn't work. So what really works is having somebody, and it really doesn't matter if it's faculty, administration, or best student, but it doesn't matter. The point is some human being seems to think that you are important enough to give their time in service of your need to vote. 
that's that's the strong message there. And I think I think the truth in what you both are saying is really important to underscore, right? So yes, it absolutely has to be peer to peer. It needs to be the students um, doing that. But too often, but it but it needs that institutional memory and the access and, and those kinds of pieces. And too often, when you know the All In Challenge is at almost 500 campuses right now, right? Like we're working with almost 500 campuses. It's a pretty powerful number. Um, it's not enough. We need to have work to do. But what's interesting is when we have the conversation with some institutions initially, and we require that a faculty or staff member be the primary contact, right? We want students to be part of the process, but we know that they often, especially because the one who wants to be primary contact is the lead of the JMU Duke's vote or something like that, which is great, but then they change, and they all change at a different time of year that I can't keep track of, right? So instead, I work with you know, Kara or Michael or one of their peers. Um, but in doing that, I think one of the important pieces has been that many campuses initially are like, but we leave that to our student, you know, the SGA does that. And my answer is, I'm so glad SGA does that. That's super important, that's not enough, right? Um, yes, and they have to be at the table, but you have to be at the table with them and you need to join them in making sure that they have access to not just having a table or not even needing to ask for it, right? Like you need to make sure that they're in those conversations and that this topic is in the conversations about orientation and move-in and other institutional structures that they might not have access to otherwise um, in terms of influencing or might have access to some student on campus, but not in a s systematic way for the students who are thinking about this work. And so I think, I think you know, even in our communities, it, that needs to be collaborative. That's part of being a democracy, right, is thinking about access to different um, features and thinking about how we um, consider issues of power and understand how to... Um, navigate uh, those pieces. And so the more people kind of at the table having the conversation, the more impact we're going to have. Students can care a great deal about what works too, not just, not just uh, professionals in this business. And there are some great resources for what works and what, work, and what doesn't work exactly, quantitative resources. Certainly a lot of that's at Tufts. I think Circle is at Tufts and also IDHE. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. and, uh, Institute work, for Democracy and Higher Education. Thank you, IDHE. And there are a couple of researchers I'd like to point out who've published a lot on this. Elizabeth, Elizabeth Bennion and yes. David Nickerson have done several papers um, just kind of summarizing what's known quantitatively about what strategies work and what strategies don't work. One of my favorite papers of theirs is one that says email can have a negative effect on voter engagement. Sending people email, sending one cohort of students an email saying, here's how you register to vote, don't do that to another set. And they actually found that the control group, the don't do it set, registered at a statistically significantly higher rate than the ones who were sent email. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean about the attention economy, right? Something that's in your email, there it is, I've got it, it's trapped, I'll deal with that someday. Meanwhile, I don't need to deal, don't need to go over to that table in the corner because it's in my email. Yeah, I, email, is, does not reach this generation. <laughs> we we know it doesn't. Um, you know, on our on our own campus, at the same time, we still do it. You know, just in case we might miss someone. But we actually use it like on election day. You know, as here's what's going on. Here's what you need to know for this day. But in addition to the way we are reaching them on social media, in person, having a van to vote in case they go to the wrong precinct, we can take them to a different one. So. Um, um, yes, I, I agree on that, but, but it's not our registration strategy at all, but it's more just kind of like making sure that we are broadcasting some of the essential 
skills, especially around mobilization, that would matter. News you um, can use by email at the right time. Right. Has yep. value. Yes. But as far as an exhortation to do something, forget it. No. You know, what happens online does not go in real life. No. The end. Yeah. Okay, so we have one question that we ask all of our guests, and so I'm going to ask both of you this question. What would you do to strengthen our democracy? What is the one thing you would do to strengthen our democracy? There's so many things I would do, Kara, and I'm sure that's the answer you get from um, virtually everyone. But I think for me right now, um, the consistent questions that I'm asking myself are around um, being inclusive and equitable. And so really taking that lens to each of the things we're doing. So taking that lens in terms of who's voting, who has access to voting, how are we making sure um, that the messages are reading, reaching the right people. Taking that to who's around the table to talk about how we're developing um, those strategies and, um, and uh, that kind of piece. I think um, I was in a session earlier this morning that was talking about uh, democratic pedagogies in the classroom. And um, they had this whole kind of uh, worksheet to go through, and it was asking about the setup of the classroom. It was asking about content rules in terms of kind of who, you know whatever it asked about um, um, assessing. And I said the one thing that I didn't see in there was accessibility, and I meant that um, not in the sense of like can you get a wheelchair in the room, but who can take the class, right? So there's some of these great classes on campus and sometimes they're only for honor students or they're only for senior capstone students who've gotten to that point in mechanical engineering, right? Which then I think sometimes means we're not retaining some of the students who are in these first year classes who are in these massive classrooms or vice versa. And so I think, you know, these constant questions about who has access and who is part of the conversation and um, how do, you know, what is the impact of a new policy? I think for me, um, I was really, um, I was heartened by the people of Florida passing a referendum to let ex-felons who have served their time and have, are presumably trying to re-enter society, exercise the right to vote, where previously they were prohibited forever from voting. And that is an example of the people saying what we should all be saying, which is that voting is fundamental. Yes, of course, there are partisan advantages for this group or that group, voting or not voting. But at some level, we're Americans and we believe in democracy and we believe in all of our people voting. And so that was encouraging and I think that's what we need is to say, at some level, let's get beyond partisanship and partisan advantage and let's all participate in our democracy. Jen Domigal Goldman of the All In Campus Democracy Challenge, Michael Peshkin, Professor of Mechanical Engineering at Northwestern University. Thank you so much for joining me today on Democracy Matters. Thank you, Kara. Thanks, Kara. Hi, podcast listeners. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Democracy Matters. Editing and production was done by the talented and tenacious Leah Jackson, a senior in the School of Media Arts and Design at James Madison University. Our digital guru, Randy Budnickus, director of digital marketing at JMU, does this indication for us. Our theme song is Sometimes It Shines by Pictures of the Floating World. Be sure to follow us on social media. You can tweet your questions and ideas to us at JMU Civic, and we'll address them in a future episode. You can also connect and engage with us on Facebook at JMU Civic. Learn more about the Madison Center online at jmu.edu slash civic. Until next time.